This is VLX number 91, Jesus Feeds 5,000. This is Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21. God give you his peace, and nomine patris et spiritu sancti, amen. God, O oh Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine patris et spiritu sancti, amen. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, We have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Thus are the words of the Holy Gospel. Okay, so let's look at the first verse today. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. Okay, what did he hear? Well, remember that was the last VLX. It was that his cousin, John the Baptist, was just executed at a party. So, you know, there probably would have been some natural sadness that, you know, that the third greatest saint ever was rejected by the people that Jesus came to save. But there may also have been, certainly was, a hidden joy in Christ's heart since he's the second person of the Trinity, as he knew the forerunner went to Hades to preach to the Old Testament saints. This is what the fathers teach. So Jesus seems to be headed on retreat, but St. Matthew writes today that when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. Father Lapide shows that Jesus took a boat across the Sea of Galilee, but it was at the southernmost tip, so it wasn't very far, and that's why the crowds could follow him. It's kind of like how if you go from southern Chicago to a beach in southern Michigan, you can, you can do that in a boat in pretty minimal time, but if you wanted to cross Lake Michigan at a more northerly point, it would take you a lot more time. It's the same shape. Lake Michigan's the same shape as the Sea of Galilee. Obviously, Lake Michigan's a lot bigger. Just trying to give you the image of why people can walk there. They basically walk around the southern beach to go to find Jesus at the other side. And they do find him. It almost seems that they beat him there on that long walk, and they're exhausted from such a long journey, but it's worth seeing Jesus. By the way, do you ever ask yourself why it's so hard to go to a church if you really believe the Eucharist was Jesus? Look at what they're doing today just to get to him. Anyway, Matthew writes, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. What does Jesus do then? Well, before we get to what he did, we want to know his heart and his brain. The English says, he had compassion on them. But the Greek there is a very interesting word. It's esplaknisti. Esplaknisti, you can write that above the word compassion in your Bible. Same in the ESV as the Dewey Rhymes. How does Strong's Dictionary define that word, esplanisti? Esplanisti, according to Strong's Dictionary, is 
to be moved as to one's bowels, hence to be moved with compassion, or have compassion, for the bowels were thought to be the seat of love and pity. You might remember about 20 years ago, people would say, I hate your guts. And then about 10 years ago, people would say, I love your guts. Well, here it's saying, Jesus loved from his guts. And if you think that's irreverent, let's actually look deeper into that Greek word, esplanisti. Again, we're in Matthew 14, 14. And esplanisti is from a word in Greek, which is splachnon. Splachnon is probably spleen. Strong's Dictionary defines it as bowels or intestines. The heart, lungs, liver, bowels. The bowels were regarded as the seat of the more violent passions, passions such as anger and love. But then Strong's Dictionary continues. But by the Hebrews as the seat of the tenderer affections, especially kindness, benevolence, compassion, hence our heart, tender mercies, affections, etc., a heart in which mercy resides. That's Strong's Dictionary. I didn't make any of that up. So the Greek is literally saying here that Jesus was moved to his heart or his spleen or his intestines with love and kindness and mercy for these people who went this far to see him without food. Let me say that again. The Greek word there is telling us Jesus was moved to the very depths of his heart or his spleen or his intestines with love and kindness and mercy for all these people who went so far to see him without any food in them. And then what does he do with all this mercy? Very next verse, he healed their sick. So, you know, right here, this would be a great point of imaginative prayer. Imagine you walked all day to go see Jesus. You'd never seen him, but you knew your heart and your mind hungered enough to see him that you're going to skip eating along the way. Maybe you skip breakfast and lunch because you arrive in the afternoon and then we're going to see this miracle in the evening. So you certainly skipped breakfast and lunch. Would it be worth it? Well, as soon as you see him step off that boat, you know it's totally worth it that you skip breakfast and lunch and walked in the hot sun. Imagine his face as he steps off the boat and looks with so much mercy on the crowds. This mercy he feels in his guts. Now that doesn't mean Jesus is sentimental or effeminate or weak or even emotional. It's a movement of the heart so much deeper than mere emotions. But emotions are part of it. And you can see it and you can feel, you can feel it that love incarnate just stepped off that boat. There is so much peace that nobody runs to him. Maybe they're just too tired. Maybe Jesus just went to the sick himself as he saw how weak they were from no food. Imagine the peace and Jesus calmly walks over to say a man on crutches and tells him to walk or a blind woman and he holds her hand and she sees for the first time or immediately he heals a leper and Jesus has no fear of this leper. This is the son of God with no fear of anyone. Well, of course, nobody wants to leave this man. Nobody wants to leave the Son of God in this situation. Just this atmosphere of grace and peace. So we have the next few verses, 15, 16, and 17. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Okay, so, you know, of course, Jesus is not being sassy or dishonest with the apostles because one day they really will have this power to work these miracles. In fact, even today, it is the apostles who would distribute these miraculous loaves and fish. So when, when Jesus says, you give them something to eat, well, I would say maybe that was like part, 
one part teasing and five parts prophecy. Just my own appraisal here. But they will have that power, and today they partake in it in some sense. You know, Father Lapide says that most people after this, after this long of a walk would need about four loaves. So I thought about it and I realized if Father Lapide knew these ancient worlds so well and said they needed four loaves, he doesn't mean Wonder Bread sized loaves. I think a loaf here is like, you know, if you go into a Mexican bakery, you would call it a bolillo, un bolillo. That's about the type of loaf I think we're talking about. I'm going to put it on the screen. So there's only five loaves. I think they look like this. And then there's two fish. And some of the fathers think that these items came from the apostles, and other church fathers think that food came from the people there. Now remember, the second half of John 6, that's that big Eucharistic discourse, but the first half of John 6 is this same miraculous feeding of 5,000. Same event today. But in John, we hear Jesus say directly to the apostle Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Jesus literally singles out Philip for this. Now, Father Lapita has a kind of funny line about that. He says, quote, Christ asked Philip rather than the others because he was more candid and docile than the rest, but not so sharp-witted or subtle, end quote. <laughs> That's why I said it was one part teasing and five parts prophecy. Well, then St. Matthew finishes up today, today's section with this miracle. He says, Then he ordered the crowds to sit down in the grass, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing, then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of the broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about five thousand men besides women and children. End quote. Okay, so why weren't women and children numbered? We always heard growing up, oh, that's because women didn't count in ancient cultures. <laughs> well, lo and behold, Lapidier gives a totally different answer from the modernist heretics who really go by identity politics and everything. Father Lapidier simply says that for women and children, quote, such a long trip would have been difficult, end quote. Let me say that again from this saintly 17th century Jesuit who got all of his stuff from the early Holy Fathers, quote, such a long trip would have been difficult, end quote, for women and children. So that's, that's why men are numbered, not because women don't count or something silly like that. Okay, now another question that a good European like Father Lapide wants to ask is, why didn't Jesus add wine with all this multiplication of bread and fish? Not kidding, that's really a question Father Lapide asks. Well, I answer, says Father Lapide, quote, Christ did not give them wine because there were streams of water at hand, end quote. So there we have our answer. Apparently there were streams. He knows the Holy Land very well. Okay, now... Let's ask, since we're talking about modernism, was this a real miracle or was it just a miracle Jesus got people to share? Okay, you know the answer to this. Of course, it's a real miracle. But in fact, it would actually be extremely anti-Semitic to say it takes a miracle to get Jews to share. Yeah, I'm not kidding. This is another stupid thing modernists say and they don't even realize how racist it makes them sound. But anyway, this was a real miracle of multiplication of loaves and fish. Well, how did this miracle happen? What did it look like? Father Lapide has some really great descriptions from the fathers how this miracle went down, so I want to read them to you. Therefore Christ, by this benediction, endured these loaves with a certain virtue, not physical but moral, that is to say, he ordained and appointed them for miraculous multiplication, whereby he placed his hand, as it were, his own divine power upon the loaves, that they should straightway be really multiplied. And this indeed he did by converting the neighboring atmosphere or some other material gradually, but imperceptibly and continuously into bread while the loaves are being distributed. 
In a similar manner, he multiplied the meal and the oil of the widow of Sarapta for the sake of Elias, and again for the sake of Eliseus, that these loaves were most excellent and endowed with great power to nourish, strengthen, and cheer those who were provided with them, is plain from this, that they were divine loaves, miraculously produced by Christ. For all God's works are perfect. Now, it's really important to notice that this was not a Eucharistic miracle, but there is a indirect, let's make sure we don't make it a direct connection to the Eucharist, so we just don't think that any reference to bread anywhere in the Bible is automatically Eucharistic, but there is an indirect reference here, and Father Lapide talks about that. He says, Thus, Christ instituting the Eucharist at the Last Supper blessed the bread and transformed it into his own body, and this multiplication of the loaves by means of Christ's benediction was a kind of type of and preamble or preparation for the transmutation in the Eucharist. So I think what he's getting at is just think of how many masses were offered in the world today, tens of thousands, right? And all of that bread became literally the physical body of the Son of God. Obviously, there's some connection back here, but we always have to remember what is left on the altar after the words of consecration. There is no bread left over. There is no wine left over on the altar. That's just what I'm getting at. Okay, let's get back to what did they see at this miracle? It almost seems the church fathers say the people were almost a little bit blinded to this miracle. Well, here's what St. John Chrysostom says. He says, Those five loaves were multiplied in the hands of the disciples and gushed forth after the manner of a fountain. St. Hilary says, Fragments succeed fragments, and the pieces broken off continually escape the notice of those who break them. So I don't mean they were blinded to him to this miracle, but it's interesting, he says, that these fragments succeeding fragments escaped the notice of those who broke them, who broke them while the apostles did. And then St. Ambrose adds, how by a certain incomprehensible irrigation in the hands of those who were dividing the loaves, the particles that they had not yet broken were fructified, and the fragments imperceptibly and spontaneously became whole again in the fingers of those who broke them, after the manner in which we see fountains of water flow continuously, and whatever you take away from them is restored by some usurious movement. So something that was very physical but yet mysterious is what happened in the hands of the apostles as they distributed all of this bread and all of these fish. But let's remember Jesus fed 5,000 not by getting them to pull out food out of their baskets to share, but no, he literally, Jesus literally multiplied by a miracle just five loaves and two fish into countless loaves and fish or fishes if you're watching from the UK. Okay, now for the imaginative way. One thing you could see, as we already talked about this, Jesus coming off the boat to heal people. Or you could imagine yourself sitting down on the grass, literally a word in the Greek there today, grass, sitting down with people. Okay, well, who should you sit down with in this cataphatic way of prayer for this miracle? Father Lapide reminds us today that Matthew 14 is the same miracle of multiplication of feeding 5,000 as found in Mark 6 and Luke 9. Let me say that again. Matthew 14 today is Mark 6 and Luke 9 roughly. Now, Labide pulls out a few details from Mark and Luke that Mark and Luke wrote down that Matthew chose not to. He says this, St. Mark relates the first part of this verse more at length in chapter 6, verse 39, and he commanded them that they should make them all sit down by companies upon the green grass. Okay, real quick note. Companies is the Douay Rhymes translation right there.
But Father Lapide describes these companies. He says, These companies were the various gatherings of people called together to dine. Hence, Luke 9.14 calls them feasts or convivia, convivia, or companies of guests, in which, for the sake of propriety, the men reclined with the men and the women by themselves and with their children, as Matthew here intimates. For formerly, people did not sit at tables upon benches, but reclined upon couches, which were drawn close to the tables. But here the grass supplied the place of couches. Christ commanded them to lie down in companies, then so that everything might be done in an orderly way, and also so that no one should be passed over without receiving his portion of bread and fish. So you know, some movies make Jesus and the apostles to be boars or buffoons, but here we have a view of this orderly hospitality with which they treated everyone. You see, there was order, propriety, and peace. It's almost a little bit of this indication of Benedictine hospitality that would come 500 years later. Okay, back to the imaginative way of prayer. My suggestion is maybe you place yourself with family and friends of the same gender in groups of maybe five or ten as you sit down in these groups. Why of your same gender? Because we just learned uh, that's how Jesus did it. Remember, Lapide gets all of his stuff from the fathers, and the fathers got everything from the apostles, and the apostles got everything from Jesus. So this is why I always say this is probably closer to doctrinal than devotional. Or at least in this case, it's historical more than devotional. Now, who's with you as you sit down on the grass? Well, again, maybe women are with their children, and maybe other women and children, but then the guys are with their guy friends. So, ladies, imagine sitting with your kids and then just the excitement, almost of almost this peaceful confusion of seeing this miracle, but totally not seeing this miracle, and then all the joy around eating, knowing that Jesus himself directly provided this miraculous food for your children. Again, we have to get out of imaginary Bible, and this stuff really happened to real families, and mental prayer allows you to go right there. Feel not only the spiritual fulfillment, but even this physical fulfillment, this emotional fulfillment of seeing your kids eat after a long day hike with no food. And then guys, you can ask yourself, what is it like to hang out with other guys after a really long day of work and then eat together? But this time there's, there's this atmosphere of grace, almost like you're in heaven with friends. Here as the sun goes down over Galilee, and you and your friends can literally see Jesus with your own eyes. I don't know, maybe 40 yards away. What is it like as the sun glimmers near the lake near him? Can you imagine how much you and your friends would say you want to follow Christ at this moment? By the way, it's so important that men hang out with each other at times. That's why I wrote a blog called Men's Groups, A Suggestion. In the closing bumper, you can see where to find my blog. You might want to go read that. Okay, and then finally, everyone, if you'd go to this, just ask yourself, if you would go to this length to see Jesus in your prayer today, remember you can do the same thing by visiting him in the Blessed Sacrament. And remember, going to visit Christ in a closed tabernacle is just as valuable as seeing him in, in exposition in a monstrance. Our generation is the first that's got very snotty on that. Many people won't go to adoration unless they can see our Lord in a monstrance. That is a modernist, goofy idea. Christ is not more present to us in a monstrance than a tabernacle. Now, we might be a tiny, tiny bit more present to him when we can see him in that lunar monstrance, but Christ is just as present in that tabernacle as a monstrance to us. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dei Omnipotentis, 
Patris Sifiri, Spiritus Sancti, Descendit Super Vos, et Maniat Semper. Amen.